I think Isaiah is a fantastic book. But I also think the other 65 books of the Bible are equally fantastic. (laughs) So it doesn't matter if I was going to speak about Ecclesiastes or Lamentations or Leviticus or Jude or something like that. I'd say exactly the same. I'd be saying, oh, isn't Deuteronomy fantastic? And it is, because it's the word of God. I've been really enjoying myself these last few weeks as we've listened to different people speak about Isaiah. And you might remember that, if you want to, there's a sheet of paper, and it's on our website as well, that just takes you through Isaiah. And if you want to use that, it's got dates on, but of course you can just ignore dates. You can just do it whenever you like. So there's still some in the foyer if you want to use one of those. So at the very beginning of this month, we thought about Isaiah 53, because it was Easter day. And that was really appropriate for that day. So again, because we're thinking about numbers, all I've done is swap the numbers around and instead of Isaiah 53, we're going to look at Isaiah 35 because to me, that's another brilliant passage of this brilliant book. And we're going to read that now. So if you've got it with you and you want to have a look at it, I'll wait a moment or two, that'd be fine. And you can either read it, I'm sort of uh, reading it in the NIV, so you might be reading it in the NIV. This is the 2011 edition. Or you might just think, yeah, I'm just going to listen, and that's okay. Or we might have a different sort of version, and it sort of says slightly different things, but that's fine. Here's Isaiah 35, then. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness, it will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And maybe like me, you know some songs that people have written from this chapter. And as you read it, or as someone else reads it to you, there's a little tune going on in your head. And you're just thinking, oh, that's where they got that from. That's why it's so good, because it's not just someone who's made up some words, but it's the Bible. And that's always the best song to have, isn't it? Right from the Bible there. We talked about the reading plan, 
And if you're using a reading plan and you're on to the day that it says, which you don't have to be, it'll be this Tuesday when you're going to be reading Isaiah chapter 35. And to me, it's a bit like an oasis. Because in the previous chapter, it's about judgment. It's doom and gloom. It's all terrible stuff. The chapter after that and the chapter after that, it's all about war and illness and the consequences of things, what's going on. So it's just a nice little chapter where you think, oh, thank you, Lord, that you're saying this as well. But what's Isaiah talking about here, I wonder? It was a really stormy political period. The Assyrians, they were the main political force. It was a country that was really trying to overtake the known world. And we know that um, in 740 to 722 BC, the northern kingdom was taken away by the Assyrians. And then Judah, the southern kingdom, just a few years later, 605 to 582 BC, they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. So was Isaiah referring to when Judah's going to return from captivity, I wonder? I wonder if he's referring to when Jesus came for the first time 2,000 years ago. Or is he referring to maybe when Jesus comes again for his second time? Or could be saying one of those things, but also talking symbolically as well for us? When you read those first few verses of that chapter, you look and you think, how incredible. I haven't been to many deserts. Maybe some of you have either a hot and dry desert or a cold and dry desert, but you don't see many crocuses grown there, do you? You don't see lots and lots of trees. You don't see streams flowing through the desert, or at least the pictures I've seen. It's like desert, either sand or ice. So maybe you get some streams but, and things like that, but mainly it's just desert. So that's incredible. That Isaiah here is saying, don't forget, in the desert, wherever you are perhaps, you're going to see blossoms. You're going to see streams. And he makes it really clear why that is happening. He says, because the glory of the Lord is there. It's Jesus that makes a difference. Hope is brought alive when Jesus comes. The desert feeling can change because Jesus comes and takes us by the hand and says, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you in your difficulty in this desert time. Now this week, I was very hopeful and expectant. I was out of my mind almost with joy because... That's the sort of person I am, as Paul said earlier. I was expecting it for several days. I was thinking, oh, I can't wait. And I knew it was really coming. This week, on Wednesday, it was the first day this year I put the washing out. (laughs) Oh, I was so happy about that. Because like, it's been on the radiators for months, or maybe the airers and things like that. But I read the signs. I listened to the person doing the weather forecast. Well, several of them. I knew the dry spell was coming. And it was going to be hot enough, not just for Wednesday, although that gave me great feelings to put the washing outside. But on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday, there's nothing left to wash at our house, by the way. (laughs) Because 
I've, I've watched it all. It's brilliant. But I had such a feeling because of the, the joy. I could see what was going to happen. And I knew that that was the day to get the washing outside. It wasn't just inside anymore. <sighs> it wasn't just Lenore with the freshness of summer. You know what I mean? But it was the real fragrance of summer that was on the clothes this time. And I was so happy about it. Maybe you did the same as me. But maybe you're a bit different to me. And that's okay. <laughs> but for several days, I was thinking about it. I was looking at the climate. And I was looking at the sort of isobars. And I was looking at the sort of uh, predictions and everything. I wonder if you're reading and thinking about the spiritual climate in Eton at the moment. You might think there's a spiritual drought going on in Eton. What's God saying about it? What's he doing about it? And you know, we can pray, can't we? We can look at the Bible and say, Isaiah 51, 9 and 10. It says, Awake, awake, arm of the Lord. Clothe yourself with strength. Awake as in days gone by, as in generations of old. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced that monster through? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea, so that the redeemed might cross? Or you might think of Habakkuk, and you sort of think Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. That's an equal favourite book of the Bible for me. And it says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Or you might sort of think, oh, yeah, that's all true. But then have you forgotten about Psalm 44? So I'll read a few verses out of Psalm 44 as well. We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days and days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and, plant, and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by the sword that you uh, won the land, nor did, they arm, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. And just near the end of that psalm, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. And we can read passages like those, can't we? And say, Lord, we've read about what you've done in the Bible and in the centuries past as well. Lord, in our day, make yourself known. Stir something up, Lord. Get people excited for you. Make something happen. Just like Phyllis was praying earlier. God, we're waiting. Do something here, please. Do something in Neneton. Do something in NCF. But maybe God says something else, as well as that. Isaiah 52, 1 and 2. Awake, awake, O Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up, sit enthroned, Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck. Daughter of Zion, now a captive. 
Perhaps God's saying, go for it. You've got the Bible. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got each other. Go for it. What are you waiting for? There's no need to wait around. You're my disciples. I love you. Go into all the world. Maybe God's saying that. We're going to develop that thought just a little bit. I'm going to show you some photos now. They're all of me. But what I want you to do is look at them and think, is John ready for work in those photos? Okay. All you need to do is say yes or no out loud. It's ever so easy. So, first one. Am I and Reuben, my son, sort of ready for work? Are we sort of, or are we just dancing around and enjoying ourselves? Yes, it's what is our work. Exactly. That's a good point for later as well. So we'll just have a marvellous time dancing around underneath the railway bridge. And it was great. Okay. So were we ready for work? It depends on the work you're thinking about. Okay. How about these then? Am I ready for work here? So the one on the left, I've got my uh, school badge on. I've got my music books in my case. I've got my coat on. I even put my my, uh, shoes on and didn't keep my slippers on. So am I ready to go out to work? It looks like it. The next one, you can't see it very well. I'm sitting at the piano. Am I ready for work? Yes, I am, because I teach the piano. Uh, the next one, here's the Greek New Testament. Here's a, some Bible as well. Am I ready for work? Yes. yes. Oh, the next one, I'm talking to someone on the phone, or pretending to. Am I ready for work? It depends who I'm talking to. What's it about? Again, what is work? If it's just talking to Jill, oh, I love you, Jill, then perhaps that's not work. So talking on the phone, or here I am with my lovely shirt on, sport talking to you here. Am I ready for work? It looks like it, doesn't it? Am I ready for work? Am I ready for work? How did you know? How did you know I was ready for work? What told you? I didn't tell you, did I? I was sort of saying, oh, for that, that occasion, I was ready for work. I had my case, and I was round to go. I didn't want to stay at home and uh, see a bit more of Jill. Jill. Uh, <laughs> I was, but I was round to go. You didn't know how, how I was feeling. You didn't know what I was thinking inside. But it looked like I was ready for work, whatever work was. Do you remember King David? As he was being anointed by Samuel... His dad, Jesse, had all his big brothers sort of coming on and sort of saying, look at him. He's surely going to be the king. And then this, and it was none of those. And then this little lad comes in and sort of, sort of thing like that. And God said to Samuel, he's a man because don't judge by a man's face or height for this is not the one. I make, don't make decisions the way you do. Men judge by outward appearance, but I look at a man's thoughts and intentions. So I had my coat on, but I wonder if inside I was ready for work. I was. I love work. Wherever I go, whatever I'm doing, it's, it's a joy. I love doing the piano and music, going into schools. I love coming here and reading the Bible and talking to people. It's brilliant. I've 
got the best jobs in the world. It's brilliant. But am I ready for work? You don't always know. Am I ready to work for God? Am I ready to labour for him? To toil for him? When I feel like it or whether I don't? Do you know there's two answers? Yes or no? Am I ready for work? To work for God? Yes. No. You know what's coming next. Are you ready for work? How many answers have we got? Two. It's either, yes, I'm ready to serve God with everything, or, no, I'm not ready to serve God with everything. That's not me. I don't want to do that. Paul from Tarsus, he encouraged lots of people to grow in the faith as leaders and as disciples. And one of his people that he helped, especially, was Timothy. And in the second letter of Timothy, chapter 4, I'm going to read it from the Amplified. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage him. Herald and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by, be at hand and ready. Whether the opportunity seems to be favourable or unfavourable, whether it is convenient or inconvenient, whether it is welcome or unwelcome, you as preacher of the word are to show people in what way their lives are wrong and convince them, rebuking and correcting, warning and urging and encouraging them, being unflagging and and inexhaustible in patience and teaching. Are we ready to serve God? Yes or no? Just think about it. Don't tell me out loud, of course. I think, and maybe some of you think as well, that something is changing soon. Maybe as you pray around town, either walking or just reading and just saying, Lord, when's something going to change in Aneaton? Can things get much worse in a town? Probably. But we really want God to do something in the town, in our lives. And so if we're saying, Lord, let something change in the town, in our lives, then we need to get ready. Do you think the desert of Nuneaton could be blossoming soon? Do you think a spiritual growth could take place across the churches, like in 1905, when lots of churches grew because thousands of people got saved in 1905 in this town, in the Prince of Wales Theatre on Bongate? It's not there anymore, but you can just walk past it and think, Lord, people's lives were changed 113 years ago. What's to stop it happening again? So getting ready for what? Are people going to get saved? Are people going to say, yes, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what he says. Sometimes I'm walking down the road and I see things and I think, God, you're speaking to me through that. And so God's spoken to me through this, this week. He's saying, get ready, but you're walking along the road, on the pavement rather, you're walking along the pavement 
<laughs> not the road, because that's not a very good place to walk. But you're walking along the pavement, and you want to cross. So there's lots of traffic coming. So you find one of these fine fellows and push the button. And you wait. And you wait a bit more sometimes. But you've pushed the button. You said, that's my declaration. I want to cross the road. You've made a statement. Do you remember Isaiah? In chapter 6 this time, God sort of declared himself to him and said, oh yeah, I'm holy God, I need you to do this, I need to do that. And in uh, chapter 6, verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And this is Isaiah. He says, Here I am, send me. He pressed the button and said, I'm going to follow God. Whatever you want, God, put me down for it. Make me top of the volunteer list. I'm there. Do you remember Mary, Jesus' mother? She was visited by an angel. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, this is from the Living Bible, it says, Mary said, I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to do whatever he wants. May everything you said come true. And then the angel disappeared. And we can look at this, and we say, goodness gracious, or golly, or gosh, or something, and think, wow, she had a lot coming to her, and yet she was able to say that. But we've got retrospect. We can see what she actually did. She knew nothing of it. She was giving God a blank check and saying, I have no idea, God, what you're saying to me or where you're going to lead me or what this strange thing you say is going to happen to me and to my family. But yes, I'm pressing that button. I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And that was Mary. Now, of course, there were lots of other people in the Bible, like Gideon and Jonah, Jeremiah and Moses, and some other people as well, who were a bit reticent when God sort of says, come and follow me, come and do what I'm asking you to do. They weren't straight away saying, there's my declaration, I'm going to cross the road, I know I've said it. But they often change their minds later. So we have to wait. But we know, sooner or later, we're going to be able to cross the road. Because we know it's going to work sooner rather than later, perhaps. I wonder, though, in our spiritual sense, when we press the the, uh, button and say, yes, Lord, I'll do anything for you. You're sort of uh, saying this, so I'm going to go for it. Do we then sometimes hope that God puts a little blanket over the, uh, over the uh, traffic lights. I was trying to remember what they're called. Over the traffic lights, and we just hope that he just puts it there so we can have a year or two where nothing's going to happen, and then God will just sort of say to us again, do you remember a couple of years ago that you said this? Or maybe, like, traffic signal faults is a phone number. Do we hope that there's, there's something faulty going to happen to the traffic lights? And just, yeah, I'm going to press the button, but Lord... I don't want anything to change my life at the moment. I'm pretty happy as I am. I don't want to change. I'm happy with how it's going. The thing about pressing the button is, when it says green to us, what's it also saying? 
read to the traffic. And for all of us, what I've been thinking about this week is, we're going to say, yes, Jesus, I'm following you. No world, I've got no inclination to follow what you have to give me. Yes or no? It's as stark as that, isn't it? Black and white. Yes, I'm going with God. I'm going this way. I'm not going the world's way. But God's calling me one way. And he says, follow me with all your heart. Follow me with all your energy and your love. Don't think you can mix the two. So God says, choose me or choose something else. Because you can't choose God and something else. Are we choosing God? Again, don't tell me out loud, but just think in your head. Are you choosing God today or are you choosing to follow the world today? Are you choosing to spend time with God and with other people that believe in God? Or are you just deciding, no, I think I'll have a little bit of God, but a lot of something else that I feel I should be doing. God gives us a challenge. God gives me a challenge and says, follow me wholeheartedly. Follow me with everything. And that's where, in a way, Isaiah 35 comes in. Because he says in verse 3, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble and tottered knees. And that's an encouragement, not just for me and Paul and Nick, to encourage people and to help people. That's the encouragement for all of us to say, come on, let's stir ourselves up. Let's remember that God's on the throne still. Even in the desert place, even in the hard place, God is with us. In Luke 9:23, Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. He's still saying that with a sense of urgency. It doesn't need to be a real, ugh, real terrible thing. Following God wholeheartedly is a blessing, is joyful because it's doing what God created us to do, to follow him with all our hearts and not try and mix a bit of God and mix a bit of the world together. I wonder, how many of your nine a day have you enjoyed so far today? Yeah. Government scientists say something really daft, but when I read it, it's how much of your nine a day have you enjoyed so far? Love. How much love have you showed to other people? Joy. How much peace have you given to other people today? Your forbearance. How's that gone? Think about it on a scale from one to ten if that helps you. How much kindness or goodness have you sown into people already today? faithfulness have you said something and you've really gone for it and you've kept your promise and even today gentleness and self-control so how many of your nine a day have you enjoyed so far today this is what God is calling us to to practice the nine a day to be full of him not to be a little bit of him and a little bit of the world and a little bit of John or whoever 
what's our character like? Are we showing God to other people as we conduct our lives, whether it's at work or down the street in the shops or as we're driving or at home? Are we keeping a sense of urgency as we're living our lives? A few verses from Matthew as well, Matthew 5. John is the salt of the earth. But if John loses his saltiness, how can he be made salty again? He's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. John is the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, John, let your light shine before others that they may see John's good deeds and glorify his Father in heaven. Verse 16 in the message says, Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, shine. Keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God this generous Father in heaven. And the same verse, verse 16 in the Amplified, it says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble and good deeds, and recognise and honour and praise and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God doesn't offer a part-time vacancy for Lighthouse Keeper. Earlier, I was saying, should we be praying, awake, O God, remember what you've done? Or we're saying, maybe awake, O Zion, or the church, and get on with it. And of course, the answer is both of them. God's calling us to remind him about things, but he's calling us to rise up, to take our nine a day, and to go out and spread the good news to others. You might remember that uh, in the Old Testament, there were lots of skirmishes between the Philistines and other countries uh, and Israel. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 14, verses 13 to 17, this is sort of uh, involving David. Once more the Philistines raided the valley. So David inquired of God again, and God answered him, Do not go directly after them, but circle around them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move out to battle, because that will mean God has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as God commanded him. And they struck down the Philistine army all the way from Gibeah to Giza. So here's the encouragement, as well as the challenge. 
we have to be willing. We have to be listening to God and saying, yes, I'm going to develop my faith. I'm going to keep on learning and reading and meeting with others because that's what you've called me to. But Lord, as you tell me to move on, as you encourage us as a church or individually to say things to people and to do things around the town, so Lord, I'm going to put my best foot forward. I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going with you. I'm not going to stay sat down in the four walls as you tell me to get on with it. The thing is, I've got lots of ideas. I'm that kind of person, aren't I? I'm always sort of thinking ahead and thinking of things. But the thing is, without God's anointing, nothing really happens. So I'd like you to pray for me, please. I'm for Paul and Nick as well. But if you want to pray for me now, that'd be great. Because we don't want to just be sat here in 10 years' time thinking, oh, that was an opportunity we've missed. We could have done so much with those estates. We could have done so much with the established people that live here already. But we really need God's direction, his anointing, so we don't just waste time and just do it because we think it's a good idea. We want God's ideas, God's blessing. There's a space here. If someone wants to pray for me, let's do it.